show. I said that in a kind of a really, it, it took me by surprise. I feel very calm. Normally I'm quite upbeat, but that was hello. That's like, good. It's a good I'm, new. It's a good new sound for you. I like it. Like like you're you know you're asleep and I'm just kind of whispering in your ear <laughs> and just. Okay, I, this, I, I don't know why I'm, yeah, I'm, this, I'm gone there. This is going in a whole different direction um, here. No, um, welcome to the Brum Radio Book Show. Uh, I'm going to look at all things uh, bookish in the region, but also in the world, mm. because we have listeners, listeners from all around the world these mm-hmm. days, don't we? We've, uh, the, ones that, the countries that Mike has yet to alienate, there's a few in Europe, <laughs> and uh, I don't think you've really laid into South America yet, but... <laughs> Anyway, hello wherever you are and whatever you're listening. Uh, if you're interested in books, you love books, we're here to talk about books. Um, please remember that you can talk to us uh, at brumradio underscore books or email us at bookclub at brumradio.com. Tell us what we're doing right, what you do, what we're doing wrong, what you'd like to see more of, what features you'd like to see. That sort of thing. It's your show as well as ours. Mm-hmm. Please but, feel involved. But primarily ours. Um, <laughs> the, uh, just uh, the voice you heard there was uh, the novelist Mike Gale, and I am the uh, wannabe Blake Woodham. Uh, but also, well, I'm quite certain you are Blake Woodham. I, <laughs> and, and I, I just to be explain, him. Blake isn't just Blake Woodham. He is Blake Woodham. Waterstone's go-to man for hosting of book events and a man who loves books more than probably he loves his wife and children. Just don't make me choose, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> I love them the same. Um, and also in the studio we have a Stuart of um, Waterstone's here in Birmingham, although you're now a Waterstone's of the region really, aren't you? Yeah, but I'm Birmingham through and through. Okay. Well now. And, um, sort of a Waterstone's overlord. <laughs> like yeah. A Waterstone's dictator. No. Um, and uh, we also have Catherine O'Flynn, uh, also a celebrated novelist, here in the studio. Catherine is not got a microphone on her at the moment, so you're just going to have to take our word for it. And finally, we have Andrew, who is manning our social media. Hello there, Andrew. Hello. So again, if you have any tweets or emails, you may contact us. We even have a telephone number, 0121 633 if you want to, to call us and let us know what you think. Obviously, don't call us if you're listening to the podcast. No, because we won't be here. We could be in the bath or somewhere else. Um, anyway, um, usually... Uh, it's a regular show. Uh, we've got a book of the month, um, and this month's book of the month is um, Greatest Hits by Laura Barnett. Um, some of you may remember we did an interview with Laura um, back last year when she was releasing um, the versions of us. That's right. Uh, which, it was a huge hit. Uh, it was a huge hit. I think it was Waterstone's book of the year, I think, or one of them. It was. Mm-hmm. And it was a great book. This yes. is, spoiler alert, even better. Oh, right. Oh, fantastic. From, from, from great to fantastic. Um, so, um, and also, it's a little bit different. It's a bit of a first because um, it's got a strong link with a musician, isn't it? Kate, um, is it Kate Williams? Is it? Catherine, Kate, Williams. Catherine Williams. Catherine Williams. Um, oh, well, I've, I've seen Catherine Williams. I've seen her play. Around. She's really good. Beautiful yeah. music. And um, a great combination. This is, the, this is the first ever book with a specially written soundtrack to uh, accompany it. And it is... Not a gimmick. It works perfectly well, but we will get uh, brilliantly. But we will get on to oh, explaining why that is. And so we're going to have we're going to have a talk with both Laura and also uh, with uh, Catherine. Oh, yeah, fantastic. absolutely. So, but before that, let's uh, have a little bit more of a, uh, a chinny wag, as uh, as a proper DJ would say from the nineteen eighties. Um, and tell us a little bit about you know. Let's talk a little bit about what you've been up to, Mike. Um, I've been doing lots of writing, um, so it, it, getting deeper into the book, which is it, it's quite a frustrating process, and um, maybe this is something we can pick up with Catherine uh, when she comes in. Uh, we talk to her a little bit later, but um, where you are when you get to the middle of a book or towards the end of a book, the writing process is really easy and it kind of comes really naturally. But this early in this early stage, it, it's like pulling teeth. Mm. It, it's you know I, I I think I might have said it before, but it, it's like at the very beginning of the book when you make a character do something, um, especially when you're you haven't got the plot fully worked out. It's all like you make your character walk across the room. You think, well, why are they walking across the room? I'm not quite sure. Mm. Um, mainly, it's because I need something to write about. 
But, you know, obviously in the middle of the book or towards the end of the book, if a character has to walk across the room, it's because there's something important on the other side of the room. Yeah. And um, it, it's that. It, it feels a little bit artificial at the very beginning. I remember once reading an interview with, uh, I believe it was Fiona Shaw, the actor, and she'd said that, you know, I, I thought this sounded a bit pompous, but that might be maybe unfair, but she said, you know, someone asked her how hard is it to learn lines, and she says, you don't learn lines. You just understand the character so well that they couldn't possibly say anything else in that circumstance. And I suddenly thought, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure going. about that. But I dare say your characters take on some level of life like that. Do they kind of write yeah, themselves? No, no, of course, they, they, they do. And, you know, because the dialogue is, 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 is functional. It's not just there to be pretty, or it's not just there to be witty. It's there to kind of express character or plot. And so you'll be expressing one of those two things at, at, at a time. But mm. at the very beginning, when you're sort of feeling your way, that's the sort of thing that's, you're not quite sure why a character is doing something. And, and quite often you don't know who they are until much later, and then it feels more real. And obviously you've written uh, quite a few novels now, 14, 15 or so. This is, is correct, yes. Um, does it get easier? No. Really? No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> you never... I, wish, I wish it would. And I'm, I'm sure I'm, I'm sure it does for, for certain authors. I mean, um, Stephen King apparently um, will has, has in the past just delivered an extra novel that his publishers didn't know about. Go, here's the novel that I was going to publish. Uh, 500 pages long, probably. And here's another novel that I just knocked up in between in my spare time. And he's amazing. And they're, and they're always really, really good. And... Mm. Um, He's a machine. Um, I, sadly, I aspire to be um, that much of a machine. I, I can't do it. So, uh, no, it, it's a struggle for me. Well, um, uh, you know, as long as it works, it works for you. Thank you. How about you? What, what have you been doing but wise? Um, I've, I've mastered a new uh, technique of reading. Which um, joins the line of things that I'm going to try and patent, which is I've always tried to have two books on the go, but I've always found it really difficult. And and I can't believe I hadn't set on this before. One audio book, one physical book. Uh, And it stops them getting muddled up in my head. I read them in different ways. Um, So I will read. So what I've started doing is is getting audio books of kind of a bit more, kind of maybe a little bit more of a thriller type of book, um, which I can listen to in a different context yeah. to reading where I'm sitting down physically and where I will read perhaps a little bit more of a quote-unquote literary book. Um, and you know, it's really working. I'm finding I can actually have two books on the go and it's, um, it's doubled my uh, reading productivity. I'm being looked at in the studio <laughs> with a light. No, yeah. it, 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 you know, I, I, I desperately want to take the mic, but um, <laughs> it actually makes sense. Yeah. And also, I think it's that, that thing of different contexts because... You know, when I'm walking a dog, I would love to be listening to an audio book or something yeah. like that. I'm, I'm listening to podcasts mainly. But you listen to um, them in a slightly different way, I think. So yes. it, 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 I, I find that if I found I find it, I've often found it difficult to read certain type of books on audio in yeah. the same way, where you really need to concentrate. Um, whereas with a book that's a bit more plot driven, yes, yeah. um, and and it's less about the language, yeah. uh, I found that the audio book works very well. So um, that is my revelation of the week. Right. Well, uh, we've. You heard it here first. Audiobooks and regular reading with your eyes. Um, Thank you very much for that, Blake. Um, Next up is... And of course, that's our regular welcome to Stuart from Waterstones. Hello, Stuart. How are you? Good. You're looking very well. Actually. Thank you. I do my best for oh, radio. It's sort of action man-esque hair and chin hair matching. My aim has been to have a slightly longer face hair than head hair. Oh. So I cheated by shortening the head hair. Oh, it, it definitely <laughs> worked. Can you do the eagle eyes, though? Yeah. Oh. oh, look at that. Stuart can move his eyes. Well done. Um, so what have, you, what have you been reading? Before we get into what's on at Waterstones, what have you been reading yourself? Okay, well, one of the books I was going to... Me- I always mention the books I'm reading anyway, but the book I'm reading is Underground Railroad, Colson Whitehead. Oh, I really fancy uh, this. Just out in paperback. It's fantastic. Yeah. Barack Obama loves it. It's kind of one of the Pulitzers. But, but it's not a scary book. It's a really good, readable book um, about the slave trade written by Colson, who's a black American, great writer. We had him in the store earlier in the year but I didn't read the book at the time so I'm doing my duty but it's a, a real pleasure Excellent. I read uh, his previous book um, Zone 1 which is absolutely yeah. brilliant as well just real kind of 
genre bending stuff and i think this is as well isn't it it has a kind of sort of sci-fi component or slightly so the underground railway as a literal railway yeah yeah it's uh there's a lot going on that it doesn't fit in a normal escape slave story but yeah. that's the bulk of the book is being chased there's slave catchers chasing this uh, woman who's escaped um, and she just encounters all sorts but there's a very active kind of in the mind element to the book as well so it's really incredible sounds fantastic and what have you got on your own store? Well, in store, so as, as always, we've got lots of events. You can see them on waterstones.com. I'm going to mention a couple. Um, next Wednesday, it's a poetry one. It's Nine Arches Press Summer Poetry Party. And it is every bit as fun as it sounds. <laughs> well, we know, we, know, uh, we know all about Mike's view on poets and their ability to put stuff away. Well, they will be. So there is going to be alcohol present, but also um, it's celebration. Nine Arches Press are, are probably the best uh, kind of... They're a Midlands poetry press, and they're just massive. They've just become this amazing... Force for poetry. So, you know, they're publishing some amazing stuff. We've got three of their new poets. Uh, we've got Gregory Ledbetter hosting, so it's not Blake for a change, which is nice. And, you know, it's just going to be a great night. But they're doing so well. They're doing very, very well as a, as a press. So, big up for them. Uh, as we say when we're 30. Uh, the and the rest. <laughs> yes, I used to say it. I should stop. That's what my point. Uh, the other event I'm really pleased about um, is, is local author Alison Jean Lester. Um, she's a Worcestershire author. She's got a deal with John Murray, which is you oh, know, so it's really good when our local authors get good uh, deals. Uh, she's got her first novel out called Yuki Means Happiness, set in Japan but where she lived for a while, so she's fully understanding of that kind of culture. Um, and it's her debut book. It's a launch. Um, Blake is hosting that one. So Sorry about we that. Are, uh, yeah. Well, he's, he's just so good, isn't he? So I think that's going to be great, and that's on the 27th of July. Oh, it's going to be a great night. Excellent. And there's also tonight at Waterstones, I know this is sold out, um, but we're quite excited to be... Excuse me, hosting the um, uh, an event with Matt Haig, the novelist, with his book How to Stop Time, which has come out I think this week or very recently, yeah, but it's yes. already it's already being made into a film with uh, Benedict Pumpkin Patch. So um, <laughs> must not say that tonight um, at the event. But um, yeah, that should be good, and we hope when we're going to be interviewing him, and that'll be our book of the month next month oh fantastic which will be in September I believe yes yes so we yes. have a month off in uh, August but we'll be back in September with Matt Haig mm -hmm. who is a splendid fellow I can vouch for excellent um, also um, there's a, a mislexia uh, novel competition the deadline for that is the 18th of September and uh, the, for it's for novels for of at least 50,000 words written for adults uh, and young adults in any genre by previously unpublished female novelists. Uh, first prize is £5,000 uh, plus uh, and the winner and uh, four finalists will get to meet uh, literary agents and editors at a special networking event. So that's definitely something to look out for. So that's uh, Miss Lexia, uh, novel competition, December, and the deadline for that is the 18th of September. So get writing over the summer and maybe you'll have a novel by then okay um, Stephen King possibly might be um, the, the, another thing that I'd like to uh, highlight uh, happening in the region is the Spark Young Writers Summer School this is happening from the very end of July 31st of July to the 4th of August this is for anyone at school age 7 uh, year, sorry year 7 to 12 so that's secondary school uh, who loves writing there is a school for them so they can get, this is run by the um, Writing West Midlands if you go to Writing West Midlands uh, and look up their events you will be able to hopefully sign up for that um, Mike is gesturing something to me but I can't actually see what you're saying so um, you're going to have to I can't, I can't hear you I'm sorry this is not going well Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> that could have been. Oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry about that. Um, so we are going to be talking about the book now, uh, our book of the month, which is Greatest Hits by Laura Barnett. This is Laura Barnett's second novel, after, as we said earlier, the versions of Us. And it, it looks fantastic. Um, I, 
you know, that, that kind of idea of, of kind of combining music and novel. And it's also that, what I like about it is this, this idea of she's managed to, to do that kind of thing of looking back again, but in a slightly different way. I think, I think th- th- those of you that may remember her first novel, um, Catherine, uh, sorry, Laura's first novel, The Versions of Us, the, the, the premise there was looking at a couple through the whole of their relationship from, from when they met until the end of their lives um, through three different prisms of three different alternative ways that their lives could have gone. Um, and it was a really interesting premise, um, but much more than a gimmick. It worked really well um, as a technical achievement of actually linking these three scenes together. This is a, this follows a similar kind of, well, notionally similar idea of taking the span of someone's life, but it does it in a very different way. I've got an introduction um, by the novelist herself, who's a much better person to explain it than me, so I'll just play that. So, Greatest Hits tells the story of a British singer-songwriter called Cass Wheeler. She's 65 when the novel opens one spring morning in 2015. And the novel follows her through the course of one day, during which she is sitting in her home studio in Kent, choosing 16 tracks for a Greatest Hits compilation, looking back over her life, her life in music, her personal life as well. And so we follow the arc of her life from birth to quite difficult adolescence, marriage, fame, all the fallout of success, difficulties, and a massive personal tragedy that uh, causes her to retreat from the world and basically barricade herself away. That sounds fantastic. Yes, it's really, really good. Um, it For me, it, you know, sometimes, I don't know if you get this experience where you think this film, this book, this piece of music, whatever, has been made just for me. It's been yeah. about all my interests. And, you know, I'm really interested in in the, the period that she talks about, sort of 60s, 70s, 80s, music scene, um, the type of music that she's talking about, a kind of Joni Mitchell-style singer-songwriter, and this idea of really getting a book that really brilliantly draws a character in, in 360-degree, um, full technicolor, really drawing it to life, all together in one place. And then there's this beautiful music by one of my favorite musicians as well. So it's like a, it's like a gift. When I interviewed them, I said, I said, I said, oh, this is my fantasy project. And um, uh, then they said, oh, we're happy to be your fantasy. And I had to kind of rephrase it. <laughs> it, it you know, it was. It, 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 I, I, I just hope uh, it really you know, resonates with people, other people in the same way, because I loved it. Now, just out of interest, did you listen to the music at the same time as you were reading the book? Or was it sort of read a chapter, listen to a track? Or well, how? the way that it works, Works. The, the premise of the novel, uh, as as Laura said, there is that the uh, Cass Wheeler is reviewing her life. So each of the the sixteen sections of the novel are essentially the story of why that song was written. Mm. So what I found is, as I listened to the song, read the chapter, and then listened to the song again, and it really changes it. It brings it to life. It so, it's so good. So for example, one of them is about her meeting her. Um, a guitarist uh, in the band who becomes her partner and they sing a a love song duet together so you hear about them meeting uh, and you hear about their relationship and then you hear this their voices and it's really kind of spine tingling um, because you've got these two people that you've really you know you felt like you've understood because the book is so brilliantly written and then you hear their voices as well and because music is so much integral to their Relationship and they work together. It's entirely organic. It does not feel like you know someone's just written a song about these two people. It's literally like these two people have written a song because you've just read about them writing it, you know, and how they've written it and why it means that such a thing. So it works absolutely brilliantly. Fantastic. So we, we've got the our first kind of big part of the interview coming up, and uh, Laura's going to be talking about. Um, the book, the book, <laughs> <laughs> and um, the process and how it came to be written. So she actually started writing the book before uh, that Catherine got involved on the music side. Um, just so you know, if you are wondering why it sounds slightly tinny, we had to conduct the interview over the phone. They just got off an interview on Radio Four um, to do us, um, but obviously of we course. were more important. But that's why it sounds slightly tinny. But you can still make out what they're saying. So here we are, first part of the interview. The novel is much more than a novel, of course. It is a piece of music as well. Um, for an album that she's releasing alongside the book. So we believe 
with good reason and we've done our research this, this is the first kind of project like this that's ever been attempted so it's pretty exciting and laura are, are you a musician yourself it feels very authentic i can make no claim to being any sort of professional musician but i'm a huge music fan and i did dabble with music as a teenager i was the lead singer and bass guitarist in an all-girl punk band called Tallulah. uh we were all school friends and we found a load of old cobwebby guitars in a cupboard at school when we were about 13 and decided to form a band and i think the first song we wrote together was called insane graveyard which gives you a bit of a sense of the kind of stuff we were writing uh, so I definitely, I mean, that was my whole life, really, during my teenage years, as well as loving writing and reading. Um, but I, I knew, I mean, we, we had a lot of raw energy, which I think was the best um, compliment we ever received. But we, 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 we weren't really destined for the top of the charts or even, you know, the pub circuit or anything. Uh, so, I mean, I've still loved all music always, and I still sing a bit, I play the piano. But it hasn't been a part of my life in this way, and that's why it's been so fantastic to sort of bring music back and, and have this chance to, to write again, to write songs again. And why did you decide to do? I mean, it's a very uh, daunting, um, it's a daunting project, a whole life um, and a life in music at that. Why did you decide to, to have a musician as your central character? Well, it was a coming together of various things. I mean, I think it's always, it's always quite tricky to figure out exactly where an idea has come from. It tends to, you do Sometimes you have moments when they just appear in your head, which is actually kind of what happened to me with the idea for my first book, The Versions of Us. I just woke up one morning and there it was. But this was a more gradual coming together of various strands of ideas sort of plastering into one. So I think I was really keen, after writing The Versions of Us, I was really keen to focus in on one character rather than the two as I follow in versions and to write really the, the whole story of someone's life from cradle to not quite grave, but certainly into her 60s. And I wanted to do that through the course of one day, so to sort of distill that character's hopes and experiences and personal tragedies and triumphs into just that one day. You know, that kind of life in a grain of sand, kind of William Blake thing, mm. seeing everything through the prism of one day. So there was that. And then there was um, also a, an idea I had on the M6 one day, uh, driving back from Scotland with my husband, you know, rain pattering on the windows and I don't drive Well, I'm learning actually at the moment but that's a whole other story so he was driving and I was looking out the window and you know I find those moments quite conducive to having ideas and I just thought my goodness why couldn't I work with a musician to make a soundtrack for a book why couldn't a novel have a soundtrack how great would that be like at that stage I didn't even know the novel would be about a musician I was just thinking you know we often hear certain sound worlds certain kind of colours of sound in our head when we're reading like how amazing would it be to bring those to life and then once I had the idea for the book about the musician that seemed the obvious thing to do so it was a coming together of various things although it is a very close third person it's not written in the first person although it is very much a kind of biography uh, did you ever consider writing it in the first person no i didn't i'm not mad keen on the first person i do use it sometimes um i've never written a whole novel in it i find it quite limiting i like to um, be able to place my characters in a context and have a sort of have more knowledge in a way than they do and sometimes to zoom out and give you know, sort of descriptive passages that we novelists like doing where we can sort of wax lyrical about what the sky looks like and stuff. And I think if you're stuck inside one character's head, inside one voice, you don't quite get to do that. So, no, I, I never thought about doing it in the first person. But as you say, it's close third, so it's very much as if we're, we're with her, we're in her mind, as well as having that slightly more omniscient view. That was the first part of our interview with uh, Laura Barnett talking about her book, Greatest Hits. But we will have Catherine Williams coming in later on. Fantastic. You're listening to the Brum Radio Book Show. You can speak to us at at Brum Radio Radio underscore books or email us at bookclub at brumradio.com. And before we talk a little bit more about that interview and um, everything that Laura said, I'd like to introduce our regular guest, Catherine O'Flynn. How are you? I'm well, thank you, Michael. <laughs> I, thought you know, I'd, I thought I'd approach this in the spirit of a job interview today. Do you know what? You, do, you look well. <laughs> I do. Oh, well, that's, that's, that's the best I can hope for these days, looking well. Um, what have you been up to? Um, I haven't. I haven't been up to a fat life show. I've been. I've been faffing about writing. The life of a writer, right? Eh? <laughs> I've been sort of writing uh, slightly self-indulgent, non. Well, what I would loosely call essays, which sounds like I'm writing sort of job. I read homework. your thing on the nuclear bunker. Oh, uh, and that made me 
The last time I was crying. Oh, that's nice to know. Because I often write stuff like that and think, why am I writing these? What is the point because of these? I'm just, I just write these sort of self-indulgent little... I was writing one last week about the Aston Expressway and thought, who in the world wants to hear what you have to say Me? about the Aston Expressway? No, I want but to hear it all about well. it. Well, look, there's hands up in the room. OK, I'm, I'm now we're going um, to produce our own... Off, our Brum Radio's first <laughs> anthology book is going to be all about the roads of Birmingham. Any other writers out there? Get in there and so uh, let's do know. people ask you to do this? Or <laughs> Occasionally. Or you just okay. Just it on people. <laughs> Occasionally I'm asked to do it, and yeah. uh, usually once they've asked once, they never ask again. It's like, oh great, she's done another piece about a road or a shopping centre. <laughs> yeah, you or did those Cliff Richard movies as well, didn't you? I did, I did one Cliff well, Richard movie. For yeah, right. the flat pack. But, um, yeah, really yeah. So sometimes it's uh, in response to a commission, and sometimes it's just that I think maybe I should write something because I'm a writer. So, so the the absent thing was. Um, yeah, that's that's potentially for a book about Birmingham, but I'm not sure if it will be included or not because it was supposed to be fiction and it ended up being non-fiction. Oh, so. right, OK. So, yes, that's what I've been up to. Wow. Uh, now, getting back to uh, enough of roads and stuff like that, yes. uh, we were just talking to, uh, just listening to our interview with uh, Laura Garnett, yeah. talking about Greatest Hitch. She was there talking about um, her punk band that she started when she was 13. Yeah. Have you ever had... Did you did you want to be in a band? Yeah, I, well, I was in a band, Mike. You I were? was in a band. I didn't know that. Yeah, it, well, it was little known outside St Joseph's Primary School. And, uh, <laughs> catchy name. Specific. It was called. It was even more catchy than that. We did it. The classic going through a dictionary and just plucking random words. And it was called the uneven levels. That's hold on. Is this a primary school? Yeah. Age oh, you're so too. Junior three. School. We uh, yeah. and we were quite inspired by. Uh, the, there was what we, we like the clash and the specials, which is quite good for oh, yeah, H9, yeah. but the music didn't really reflect that because I only had a Bon Tempe organ. <laughs> well, and you played? I, I, I was kind of songwriter and. Uh, Chief know, lyricist, even yeah. then. I think actually nobody else really joined in with me. They, like, they went as far as getting the band name, but I yeah. was the only person who actually kind of sang songs in my bedroom um, but sadly fizzled out and after that it, you know I never really I never really picked myself back up again but I know you're, you're passionate about music have you, have you ever thought about writing a, a book about music like this yeah I mean I'd, I'd love to really I think um I'm, yeah, I, 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 it, it is something I'd love to do but whether I whether I will or not I think it's just one of those things that's such a big topic it's hard mm, it's yeah. hard to know how to approach it isn't it I mean same with you that it's uh it's always been there in your life and it's hard to know a way into writing about it. I've kind of, for a few years, been interested in writing about the idea of a, fa a failed child star, a kind of, you know... Oh, yeah. A sort of, um, and that might be a way into writing about the sort of music industry, but probably not the music industry I was particularly interested in, more the sort of, you know, 70s, schmaltzy kind of music industry. But, you know, who knows? I mean, I think writing about music is incredibly difficult to do well. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know... It's it's kind of magic uh, in a way. I think music is just it's just, and you know Frank Zappa said it's like dancing about architecture yeah. and you know it's very true. But I think what I'm so impressed by with this book and when I interviewed them, I was quite surprised that um, Catherine uh, Williams hadn't been more involved with the, with the writing of the actual prose because it feels like. You know, this person really knows what it's like to craft songs, oh, and obviously, and you know, and we will learn that in the interview that Laura, you know, does does dabble with music a little, but is is not a professional. Yeah. Um, but it, it feels so authentic, and because she dresses the whole of um, Cass Wheeler's life, it goes from those kind of early. Uh, kind of performances all the way through and the music matches it so well so one of the tracks on there for example is kind of a jam session that they do in a kind of a lounge mm. and it has that slightly more sort of pared down sound to it and it, she's followed the the arc of the career so well and and, and how the songwriting develops as well it's brilliant and when you're reading the book do, do you you know I know that you like music as well do you have a a particular musician in mind do, do you sort of see a figure well, I think obviously because I'm a big fan of Catherine Williams, yeah. I was thinking, well, you know, immediately visualise them, and obviously it sounds like that as well. But I think that um, it's a sort. She sort of um, when when Laura told me the the premise of the novel, which was last year when she was writing it, I said um, it sounds like the book sounds like uh, Kate Bush meets Mrs. Dalloway because it's all set on one day, yeah. and and she is a sort of Kate Bush type character, someone who plows their own furrow doesn't really go with fashion but just you know is is 
all about the art um, and um, the music. And, and so I think, yeah, if anyone, I suppose it would be Kate Bush that would be on my mind. Although the music isn't really quite like yes, that, but, yeah. but I, I see what you're that kind of character. Right, so we've got the second part of the interview coming up. Yes, and let's play it. Excuse me. Hello, Blake. I'll lay my cards on the table and say that there were several real people doing various things in early drafts of the novel, and the lawyers at my publisher <laughs> didn't think that was a brilliant idea. Oh, that's very intriguing. I'm going to wait until we're, uh, we're off air and find out more about those. Yeah, you have to be very careful about going around placing real people in certain sort of slightly unsavoury situations. Uh, it's just tricky. And also, to be honest, I think it can be a little bit lazy. I think I wanted to, to challenge myself to build a world that felt real enough without necessarily having, you know, Bob Dylan walking in and out of the room. Because immediately that... It's a shorthand, isn't it, to truth, to realism, using real mm. people. And while they're there, they're in the background, I kind of wanted to create characters that could stand three-dimensionally on their own without sort of hanging on the coattails of real people. Cass Wheeler, as a name, it's not a million miles from Cath Williams. Was Cass always her name, or is, is that a coincidence, or did you change her? You're extraordinarily perceptive, and again, I will be honest with you and tell you that Cass's name in the first seven drafts was Cass Williams. Oh, really? Before I knew Catherine, real-life Catherine Williams was going to be involved in the project, so that was one of the many spooky things that sort of made it feel that as far as anything could possibly be meant to be that maybe our collaboration was but I decided that was a little bit too close to comfort and changed it uh, quite a few drafts on I went through several different options for certain names actually but I liked Wheeler so we stuck with that At what point did Catherine get involved? So um, that was a question I sort of had to answer as I was going along I didn't originally I thought I would get a musician involved before I'd even written a word and that we would sort of evolve the character together but that seems started to feel like not necessarily the right way forward because I'm not a meticulous planner as a novelist. I like to kind of evolve the story, get to know the character as I go. So um, I decided to write a full draft before approaching anyone. So I had a full draft written. No one had read it yet. And then I heard Catherine on the radio on, on Six Music, Keris Matthews' show, talking about her album Hypoxia, which she was saying had been inspired by Sylvia Plath's writing. And immediately I had to stop what I was doing and listen because I thought, wow, you know, here is a musician who could be the perfect person to work with. She's already thinking about how to express fictional characters in songs. So, so it's so fascinating. I, the one thing we haven't done yet is actually play any of the music from the uh, from the. Uh, from the album that accompanies it. People can buy this album, can they? Yes, it is available. It's called Greatest Hits. It has a, a similar cover to um, the book, and I would strongly recommend that you do listen to them in tandem. I mean, obviously, different people I, you know, will listen to these things in different ways. It perfectly well stands alone as a piece of music, and the book perfectly well stands alone as a book. But when you put them together, it becomes something else. And it's what is so exciting for me is it's just become something you know I've never really experienced before. You know, it's a something completely new. It's brilliant. And so, what what area is this? This we've got a song coming up. Yes. Yeah, so the first tra- this is the first track on the album. And it's the first track that uh, Cass writes. That that is the first track that she's really kind of happy about. And it tells the story of. Again, if you listen to this as a piece of music, it sounds like it's a story of a lover leaving. Um, but when you read the book, you discover the story of her life. And one of the things that really had a huge impact on, on her is her mother leaving when she was a child. And it's about the letter that her mother leaves behind. as She, she leaves the family home in the, in the middle of the night and, and just leaves a note on the table. And it's, and it's obviously something that has a long-term effect on Cass. So let's let's hear it. We've got an introduction by um, both the uh, lyricist and composer. This is Common Ground. It's the first of the 16 songs in the book and also on the album. And it's inspired by um, Cass's mother leaving her when she's 10 years old. So it's a really key moment for her, formative moment. And it's the first song that she writes as a teenager and that she feels comes close to saying what she wants to say as a songwriter, so it's really important to her. Yeah, here it is, Common Ground. That was Common Ground by Catherine Williams, who's part of the the Greatest Hits album. It's gorgeous. It's accompanying Laura Barnett's Barnett's, um, book, also called Greatest Hits. What's what's great about the Greatest Hits album that the character Cass Wheeler is is creating is it isn't it's, it, she's creating a autobiographical 
version. So it's not a classic greatest hits album. She's deciding on the tracks that mean the most to her in her life. So it isn't sort of artificially kind of making these things. It feels so organic that she's listening to this music and these are the ones that are genuinely having the most impact yes, on, on yeah, her life yes, and the yeah. way that she... So it's not just kind of the quote-unquote greatest hits, the kind of... The strap line of the book is the greatest hits of your life. And I think it's just something that I think works so well. Yeah, I was thinking when I was listening to her then, I was just thinking how, you know, you were saying this is the first time this has been done, a book with a sort of accompanying soundtrack. But um, it's, I was thinking in my life, certainly, it's usually been music that has introduced me to books. And I think of so many examples of that, mm. of like you get into a band or an album. I remember listening to Calexico for the first time and through them finding Cormac McCarthy. And, you know, when I was young, you know, David Bowie introduced me to loads of writers and stuff like that. Personally, obviously, when he came down Nietzsche's. But, I mean, just, there's that very strong link. So that, that then certain writers, you really connect with certain musicians. I don't yeah. know if you, have you found that at all. I think, it, I think it goes both ways. I think music can introduce you to literature, but literature can also introduce you to music. Um, I mean, Mike, Mike's first book, My Legendary Girlfriend, yeah. is a pop song. Yes, yes. And, it, and it, it's, it's funny, um, when I was looking for a title, um, in fact, I had the title before I even had the book. Um, I bought this. I bought the single from a, a market in Salford, Salford Market, and uh, I really loved it. It's kind of, it's kind of, you know, it's Jarvis doing Barry White essentially. <laughs> and this is before uh, Colin people, yeah, before, yeah, before they were mainstream, yeah. Pulp. And um, I remember showing it to a mate, and I just literally just bought it, and it was raving about it. And she said, "Oh, that I make." Um, a great title for a novel, yeah, yeah. and it, it must just stay there, absolutely <laughs> at the back of my head. Because when I sat down to write the novel, the title "My Little Girlfriend" was was there from the get go. Was you know, it, it's just such an evocative. Did your friend um, get back in contact with you and say, "I didn't mean it literally"? <laughs> <laughs> Did Jarvis Cocker get in touch with you? Um, no, no one tried to sue you no. for. <laughs> There's no copyright on them. Some titles. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like you check this, but no, um, I, I'm, 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 I, if I haven't stressed enough how much I love this book, I will. Um, I love it. It's, but I really want to stress again: it's not just a kind of gimmicky or, um, you know, an idea. Yeah, that, that was my fear that yeah. it would be some sort of like, oh, look, we've got this and we've got this. Yeah, no, it works sort of so. It works so well because yeah. because the music is so central and the way the music is written is so central. It 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 does not feel in any way, and the writing is beautiful as well I mean the, the her, Laura Barnett's first novel uh, The Versions of Us was, was beautifully written and technically wonderful um, she's really stepped up in terms of, of I think her confidence in her prose style as well there's some beautiful imagery in this one that really stuck with me is at one point one of the characters is on an aeroplane and they look out at the, and the clouds are described as like a child's picture of heaven and um, that really stuck with me. I think that's just a perfect image. We can all exactly sort of see that. And it's just full of beautifully light um, touches throughout like that. It's beautifully written, both technically and as a, uh, as a sort of um, you know, piece of prose as well. So we've got our, our, our final uh, part of the interview coming up. Um, the other thing that's um, a challenge for you, Catherine, is the dimension of time. These, these songs cover a long period. And early on in the album, there's a there's an '80s track with a bit of a drum machine kind of sound on it. Yeah. How much did you did you really pay attention to to that that whole span of of Cass's career? I paid a lot of attention to it, and and part of having Romeo produce was because we wanted to we wanted to have someone with as many references as I have of the last fifty sixty years of music and to find those genres and artists who Cass was probably listening to and wanted to follow. I mean, we didn't want to make pastiches or cliches of each decade. We wanted it to be more like a sort of Kate Bush, Joni Mitchell, Laurie Anderson kind of character where they had a drive and a, and a vision of who they were and then they would have elements of the decades and what was going on in music coming into what they do. You're mentioned in the novel. Was that a contractual uh, insistence from you? Did you always want to be in it? It's so funny. Well, you see, I didn't... We, we discovered very early on that I wanted to be cast in the moment, so I didn't read the book until all 16 songs had been written. I was fed the information uh, by Laura for the, for the content of where the song was coming from without having the full context of her life story, because... If I did that, then I would 
have a lot of um, retrospect as a writer instead of being in the moment. Mm. So I really wanted to... Um, I really wanted to read it and I couldn't. And then we did the 16 songs and then I read the novel after. And um, that was such a beautiful surprise that I knew nothing about and it made me laugh so hard. <laughs> <laughs> if um, if you could specify how people consume this, I don't even want to call it a book, this project, do you think it, you people should listen to the music uh, before, afterwards or during? Personally, well, I love both, yeah. but, I, but I've got a very separate approach to them, I'd say. So um, this this book really interests me, and I've not read it yet, but you, you're starting to change my mind because all the other books I've kind of come in touch with that have a music theme, I've not thought were very successful. The one that sticks in my head, Salma Rushdie's Ground Beneath Her Feet, which is probably one of his worst books. Mm. I mean, he had he started hanging around with you too at the time he he wrote it, and uh, you know, just they ruin everything, don't they? Yeah, well, they do really, but but you know, I, th I think Salma Rushdie and Rockstar it feels quite a big leap. Mm. Um, he's got a lot of skills. <laughs> is, is that I do think that that all writers on some level. I, maybe I'm talking about myself. Ah, <laughs> oh, indeed, fail rock stars. You know, if I could play guitar or sing, I would not be here. But I'm here on tour right now. Um, well, is that the same for you as well, Catherine. Uh, oh, yeah, sorry, just killed Mike with the microphone. Right, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I don't even know if I actually want to be a rock star. I just like the trappings of it. Yes. The, yeah, you know, going yeah, on yeah. Desert Island discs. And, <laughs> you know, I still constantly in my head play out fantasy interviews, like where I'm being asked in the enemy about my early musical influences and stuff. I don't know if I have any idea about my recording. If you've seen the enemy lately, um, it will be like, you know, yeah. five, it'll be five sentences. <laughs> Yeah, no, times have changed, haven't they, Mike? Oh, Not like yes. in our day. Not like in our day at all. <laughs> but um, it, it, the experience, I think, for Kat, for um, Laura Barnett has been great in the sense that she's, they have actually gone on tour together and they have been performing. Oh, um, So uh, she gets the rock star So she does, style. yeah, um, which, you know, hopefully will be, you know, is just rewards for, for, you know, evoking this character so well. So if she ever does a sequel, then uh, she'll have lots of material. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you very much to Lorna, uh, Laura sorry, for um, the interview. And thank you very much to Catherine as well. Greatest hit, it gets the Blake's thumbs up. It does. That um, pulp remember the first time was because Catherine is now going to be talking about our debut of the month yes this month I am doing um, Harmless Like You is the name of the book by Rowan Hiseu Buchanan you said that again Rowan Hiseu Buchanan thank, thank you thank you for trying to trip me up on a it's always tricky when people have three names isn't it but uh, there you go um 
So, yeah, it's... Um, this is a sort of story for mother and a son. Uh, the main character actually is called Yuki, which we had a book earlier, didn't we? The Allison Jean Lester book was Yuki yeah. Meets Happiness. Yeah. But the main, main character's book is called Yuki, and we meet her when she's 16, living in New York in 1968, and she's the daughter of Japanese parents, living this really terribly lonely existence in New York. Um, she's kind of bullied at school, she's friendless. And then one day she meets another misfit out on the sort of smoking out on the fire escape called Adil, who um, is very worldly, very single-minded, and they start hanging out. And on the basis of that friendship, Yuki decides to stay in America when her parents go back to Japan the following year. Um, she wants to be an artist and she moves in with Adil and her mom. Um, so then the narrative moves from that to the current day um, to Yuki's son, Jay, who's an art dealer in New York. And the book starts with him about to meet his mother in Germany for the first time since she abandoned him at the age of two. And so that's basically the narrative thread that pulls you through. It's like, what happened to Yuki? Where did Jay come from? And why did she leave him when she was two? Which is kind of sounds slightly, you know, quite a familiar structure, that mm. sort of back and forth. But I have to say, this book is really beautiful. And I think one of those books where you think there isn't a single cliche in it. It's really... Um, really beautifully wrought and really uh, certainly very unique about the perspective in it I thought I thought it was um, very poetic and delicate it's actually quite it's quite an aching book really you know you read it and it's all about Yuki's search for fulfilment and some sort of sense of who she is which she doesn't necessarily reach Um, I think she's the author's brilliant at creating these two she's created two very rich nuanced characters who are totally different you know the son's very egotistical and self-assured, albeit very wounded. And the mother's very tentative and unhappy. Uh, When she meets her son later in life, she tells him that life is just a series of decisions and that's pretty much what her life is. So it sounds like they're making it sound like incredibly downbeat. (laughs) Uh, But I don't know, it's very engaging. The sun is very beautifully drawn and, you know, it's it's about a life of regret, but it's not melodramatic or sentimental. It's restrained and delicate. Um, Also a really great book about New York. You know, New York is at the heart of the book and it's got a real strong sense of place. You know, New York is the place that inspires uh, Yuki to be an artist, but also the scene of her sort of failure to become the artist she wants to be there. Um, I don't know if anyone read a um, big book that came out last year, in all sense of the word, uh, called The Nicks by Nathan Hill, uh, which was another big American debut that got a lot of press. Very similar themes, that's about an adult now, male, going back and trying to find his mother who deserted him in the mm. 60s. Um, very different books, but they'd be interesting as companion pieces because they deal with very similar themes in different ways. Um, and I think, you know, with this book, I know Mike often sort of asked me what, what, what's the standout moment for it, and I was, you know, I never have a very good answer, so I was thinking, preparing specifically <laughs> for that question today. We don't have time for that today. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think, you know, this isn't just because I can't think of one, but I don't think this is the kind of book that has standout moments, but what really does stand out and what stays with you is just the voice of the main character, of Yuki's voice. It's very, um, there's, there's just something very kind of haunting about it. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure I've done it justice at all in that review because I've made it sound really dreary, and it's not—it's not dreary at all. It's—it's really—it's uh, quite often funny, and it's uh, very moving. Do you know anything at all about the author? Um... Um, well, <laughs> I don't. I know uh, rather embarrassingly, I found out after I'd read the book that she's actually got the same agent as me. But that is why I've given it <laughs> such a glowing review. It was quite weird. I was like, "Oh, I did it. I really enjoyed that book. I didn't know she." <laughs> um, but um, but no, I, I don't know um, too much about her other than I think she grew up in America. But I think, like the character of Yuki, I've read an interview with her where she said she has always felt a little bit not at home in one place or another you know slightly sort of drifting in that sense so yeah um, I'm quite intrigued as to how it will go with um, Yuki I've forgotten the name of it now Yuki means happiness mm. uh, it, it sounds like it may cover a similar sort of, uh, of church as well not least having a character called Yuki <laughs> <laughs> sounds very similar yeah. Blake very similar that yeah. <laughs> big Venn diagram of books with Yuki as a pen that might be the only similar yeah I think like no I think, I think the writer again is someone who has uh, had a relatively um, nomadic upbringing in different places ah, so maybe well I, I don't know I'm making a huge disservice on two books I've not read, read. <laughs> 
you think this is, you know, are you desperate to read the, the, the second novel by this character? Yeah, I am actually. I'm really, because um, I think she's a brilliant writer, yeah. um, absolutely brilliant writer. So I think um, she will she will turn out something stunning again. You know, this is a quiet book, but it's, it's very powerful. But I, th- I think there's something quite assured about someone writing a debut novel that sounds as, as, as kind of yeah. quiet about that. That means that they, they sort of know what they're doing. They're quite confident. They yeah. haven't gone for the kind of fireworks, as yeah. it were, yeah. for their debut. Yeah, and like I say, no sort of cliches. or You don't really know. At any point in this book, I never really knew where it was going or what was going to happen. Mm. And, but not in a way they're trying to be tricksy or sort of outwit you. It's just it's treading its own little furrow, which is great. That's fantastic. So what's it called again? So it's called Harmless Like You, and the author is Rowan Hiseu Buchanan. And, and it's published, published by Scepter. Oh, fantastic. And the agent is. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. Before we round off, um, I think... Blake, what have you been reading? Um, well, I've just finished reading um, the Booker Prize nominated, sort of going through the Booker list, um, His Bloody Project. I really oh. want to read that. It's brilliant. Yeah. yeah, really interesting book. It's about the, um, essentially a sort of rural community in the Highlands in the in the 1860s. Um, and it just, it just paints a picture of their life, incredibly detailed, incredibly authentic feeling um, and it's written as if it's uh, a true story so it's actually an amalgam of um, uh, the sort of autobiography of one of the characters but also various other documents and various other people's point of view and I was quite sort of surprised to get to the end and realise you know I wanted to know more about the true story and then f- not real you know forgetting it wasn't real um, so I've been reading that and I'm also currently reading The Transgrimation The Transmigration of Bodies by um, Yuri Herrera which is a very interesting Mexican novella um, which opens with this incredibly dark image of a lot of mosquitoes pooled uh, over a pool of blood uh, and it's got grimmer from there so um, very much enjoying that what about you what are you reading um, oh dear mate I have been continuing to torture myself with a the continuing the post Gone Girl novels and I've just finished another one and oh Dear me. Are you going to tell us the title or is it? No, I, I can't. I can't. I can't. Um, but um, is it? Is it? Does it have the twist of the year? Oh, it's just. It's so bogus. It, it's really bogus. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to. I think the thing is the re- reason why I, I keep reading them is because I keep getting suckered by the same thing. It, it's just like. Oh, this is a really good concept, and again, oh, I wonder how they're going to solve it. They're not, or it again. makes no sense. I mean, you know, I feel really stupid and embarrassed to be telling you this, but um, they're awful. It, 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 this one's in particular was really, really bad. They, it, it was they. Tr- I can't say too much because you know I don't, I don't, you know, I can't be like a fellow author, but it, it, it was just. They'd quite deliberate. They'd obviously read the girl on the train and um, were trying to do something similar, and it, it, it just didn't work. Oh, it, it, was it, it the lady on the bus? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to say. The boy on the rail replacement no, service. I, I, do you know what? I, I think I'm going to carry on torturing myself until I find another until good one. one. Yeah, until um, I find. How yeah. about you, Kathy? What are you doing? Uh, well, embarrassingly, I have been reading Harmless Like You. You see, I have a father. <laughs> Perhaps because I haven't mastered the whole audio tape and reading at the same time. I don't I'll tell know. you what, Catherine, you'll be, once I tell you they're not even tapes anymore, it's going to blow your mind. <laughs> what? <laughs> the CDs. <laughs> um, yeah, so literally, I mean, one of the reasons I enjoy doing this show so much is that it at least makes me read a book a month, which uh, is, is, is quite a good game for me. So, uh, yeah, no, nothing other than this. Does it feel like homework when you're reading? When when you have to read the books, I know you review for regular. Uh, a little bit, a little bit like homework, but usually with this show, it's quite nice because you can kind of pick ones that you think you're going to enjoy. I, I sort of, I've no interest at all in kind of starting to read books that you think already you're not going to enjoy. Yes. You know what I mean? Nobody, like you say, you don't want to diss a fellow author. So, but but does it interfere with your actual pleasure of reading? Um, only in as much as I never really get round to reading lots of books that you know friends have bought me that they think I would actually definitely like, and I never. So I have like yeah, a sort of life-threatening pile by my bed that one that would be how <laughs> yeah, I die. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> because uh, they just mount up. But one day, you know, when I'm retired, 
You know, I, I do plan to have, you know, I, it, when you're writing, it, it's very difficult to find time to read. And I don't know, I, I just feel like I, I, I'm constantly buying books to for this, this period when I'm, I'm going to be retired and I'm yeah. going to have all the time in the world and yeah. nothing better to do. I used to do that with CDs. I remember when I worked at HMV, I bought loads of, um, <laughs> loads of like Charles Mingus and classic jazz CDs. Cause I thought one day yes, I'm going to be so into jazz, <laughs> and they're sitting on the shelf waiting for my big uh, entry into that world. And of course, you know, there's always those, those, those times where you kind of think, right, I'm going to tick these people off, right? Yeah. Pink Floyd, I've never, not yeah. the slightest bit, right? I'm going to do Pink Floyd now, all 15 albums. <laughs> <laughs> Left you cold. Nah, <laughs> How about you, Andrew? What are you reading? Um, I've been re rereading some old childhood favourites, actually. Um, the Ghost of Thomas Kemp by Penelope Lively, which I remember reading as a kid, and also uh, another book called The Scarecrows by Robert Westall. Oh, I remember that. Reason, no, it was just one of those whimsical things where I just thought, oh, I just fancy picking something up I haven't read in like 20, 30 years. And how was it? It was great. Thoroughly enjoyable. There was, I mean, it was the work of a day to read, yes, you know, yeah. each one. But yeah, it was great fun, actually. That, well, that brings around a question before we finish: um, of what what childhood book would you like to reread? The, 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 when I was a kid, um, a lot of half the childhood books seemed to be about nuclear apocalypse, <laughs> and I remember reading a book called uh, I think it was called Children of the Dust. Oh, yeah. or something like that which was a kind of you know th you, you know young, the nuclear apocalypse through the eyes of children <laughs> um, which was a great thing to read when you know you're 11 and you're watching it on the news um, and, that, and I remember that absolutely terrifying me and remaining to this day stuck with me and I don't even know if it's still available don't know who it was by but uh, I would if, if I was feeling you know uh, bleak <laughs> I was going to say <laughs> robust suicidal. enough you know because <laughs> the political stage at the moment does not feel you know as far removed from <laughs> yeah. nuclear Properties, perhaps we we may have felt in the past. So yes, that would be that would be my choice to go back to. Um, I don't know. There's so many, aren't there? I think, funnily enough, the books that obviously I think this sounds like I'm just sort of saying this to be glib, but I'm not. I read lots of different books when I was little. But I think the books had the biggest influence on me in what in writing. Yeah. <laughs> I can't face saying this now. Were the um, <laughs> the Grange Hill novelisation? Oh yeah, by Alan um, by Alan Garner. Um, no, Alan Garner. So no, they, they produced right them. Didn't yeah, they? Phil Redmond. Phil Redmond. Redmond. Yeah, yeah. And um, my memory of them is they were great. I found them, you know, because they were really real Grange life. Hill and rules great. okay. I've got the yeah, yeah, home, yeah, yeah. And they did things. Things would happen in them that didn't happen in the TV series. There were little subplots that didn't happen. Yeah. And uh, I remember them being really, really gripping and also really <laughs> gritty. And uh, I'm kind of, I've still got them at home. I think, oh, shall I reread them or no, maybe not. <laughs> I just like the fact that they've had this huge influence <laughs> on uh, your, your uh, you know. You know your your glittering career. How about you, Stuart? Well, we haven't read what Stuart's reading at the moment. Oh, we have. We did no, that earlier. Yeah, I apologise. Yeah, we did that earlier. Sorry, I wasn't listening. Um, I don't know. I, I didn't read much at all as a kid. I was terrible. I read comics and played guitar and stuff oh. like that. So, um, but probably the Alice in Wonderland books oh, I'd like to reread because uh, I can't remember anything that happened in them. <laughs> oh, I, I've got a. Um, with, for my kids, I've got. Um, um, Alan um, Partridge. Uh, I've forgotten his name now. The, um, the oh, anyway, I've got a great audiobook version of that. Um, so um, I'll tell you later. Sorry. Well, worst anecdote. Apologies. It would be um, the Betty Bryars books. Um, I used to love the 18th Emergency, and I think that had a massive influence on me because I. I remember thinking to myself, um, you know, I wanted to read books about people who were my age going through, well, not complicated things, but, um, but just kind of experiencing life because, you know, I was one of those kind of people who wanted, you know, my life was very straightforward, so I actually kind of wanted a little bit of complication. And Betty Bryars seemed like a good way through, and I think those were a huge influence on me. It just kind of made me think about people that, and just writing books about real people. In Are they English or American? Uh, she was American, yeah. Oh. Um, she wrote a whole... Lots of different ones. Yeah, they, that's what I remember. And the 18th emoji was probably the, the best well-known one. Um, 
So we've, we've come to the end of the show. Um, I'd like to say thank you very much to Stuart for coming in. You're welcome. Uh, thank you to Andrew. Thank you. Thank you to Kath. Thank you. Of course, thank you to uh, Laura Barnett. You were fantastic. Thank you very much to Catherine Williams. You were also fantastic. Thank you huge amount uh, to um, our listeners. You were brilliant. But of course, all the thanks go to Blake. Without whom, uh, he has come here, he's... he's None of us would be here. None of us would be here. He's a young child. A young child who's ill. There is an adult. There is an adult looking after them. I will stress that. This is his dedication to books. Anyway, you've been listening to the Brum Radio Show. Thank you very much. Thank you, everyone. Goodbye.